Hello and welcome to the Weather of the Mind podcast. I'm your host, Doug Krish. Good day to you. Today we're talking about 9-11 with David Foster Wallace, part of our fall book series using the book Consider the Lobster and Other Essays. So today we're talking about his essay, The View from Mrs. Thompson's, which is his reflection on his day at 9-11. Now, I use this as the first essay because it was kind of a lighter read. It wasn't, I don't think it was overly philosophical or profound or challenging. I thought it was a, it was a really great portrait. Portrait of a scene is like a further introduction into listening to Wallace's voice. So a few things before we jump into that. This is the Weather of the Mind podcast. I have posted on the website under a tab. I'm still working on it. I'm posting on a website under a tab labeled courses uh, and or another tab labeled upcoming shows. And you could see what's coming up for this, what's coming up for this fall book club, as well as general plans for most of September, October, most of the, the rest of 2020. I'm kind of sketching out the episodes. And I think going forward, I'm going to try out doing three weeks on, one week's off as my schedule. I know that before Corona times, I went every week. And then when Corona disruption came, it became a little bit more sporadic. But I like having a plan. So the default plan I'm going to try for the next few months is three weeks on. I really enjoy cycles of work and relax work and recharge. I think you see things differently. When every week becomes the same, sometimes it can get a little blurry. I've benefited from those weeks off and I have a lot of a lot of things to work on. I'm thinking about a lot of things. I told you as I've been doing this five-year plan series, I'm also working on the five-year plan for myself and for the weather of the mind, weather of the mind school, and just trying to separate those plans and understanding how they overlap. Next week, a five-year plan episode, my five-year plans, but it might just be uh, an intermediate episode where I talk about the challenges I'm finding with laying out the five-year plan. What I can lay out, what is what is stressing me out, but in a way, if my five-year plan is stressing me out a bit, that means the process is working. I'm pushing myself to think about things two, three, four years down the road, and perhaps even beyond that five-year plan, maybe that five to 10-year segment. Perhaps it can be a little bit stressful and anxiety-inducing, but it will be beneficial to have a vision, a plan going forward, even knowing that the plan's likely going to change, it's likely going to evolve, but it's going to help orient orient the vision here. Again, the vision for the podcast, my own vision as a writer and thinker and podcaster, but also in terms of your five-year plan, even if you have a stable career in life, where do you want to see yourself grow in the next five years? Part of the Weather of the Mind School is trying to encourage lifelong growth and that is one of the most fundamental ways or lessons we could teach youngsters. And hopefully we can still enliven that spirit within ourselves, that hunger, but a very natural and exciting lifelong growth. And I, I try to exhibit that in this podcast. And even with this false fall book series with David Foster Wallace, I am not a, I've never taught David Foster Wallace. I am engaging these essays for the fir- for often the first time myself. So I am 
you know, in the in the book club with you. I'm not teaching the book club. I'm in the book club. I'm sharing my reflections. But again, if you want to share more reflections with the podcast group, uh, drop an email on the website or leave a voicemail on the website. We'll try to get you on the show. A lot of people have been saying thanks for the five-year plan episodes. Those have been helpful and orienting. You can subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify. You can get a weekly email from me if you want. Connect with me over the website. Before I get to the meat and potatoes, the rice and the beans of the show, which will be the, you know, reading some of the excerpts of this essay, I do want to say that I want to kind of bow and have a moment of silence for, for David Foster Wallace, who died of suicide on September 12th, 2008. So a brief moment there. And I wanted to mention that, but it's almost... It's almost just planting a seed because we're going to talk a lot about emotional health as we go through this book series and certainly reflect upon suicide as well because it's natural to when we're considering the work of a musician or a writer or a friend. If we're considering someone who we lost early, there's always the kind of curiosity of, huh, they... They should have still been alive. I wonder what they'd say about this pandemic. Or I wonder what kind of music they'd make in response to this social climate. But then there's the added level of if they overtly committed suicide or if they passively committed suicide via drugs and alcohol. What what is that, you know, what is that what does that mean? How much should we consider that and hold that in our mind when we listen to these person's words in their writing and their essays or or is something that we should just not think about i think about this a lot because i like to sing a lot and i a lot of the musicians who i really appreciate and i sing their songs after i sing their songs i say give thanks rest in peace so there's a lot once we start talking about suicide and what we think about suicide it's a sprawling, important discussion. So hopefully this time with David Foster Wallace will instigate that. But I just wanted to kind of give a little bow in recognition of his passing anniversary that takes place this week. It is curious that it it was the day after 9-11. I mean, it was the anniversary. But it's still kind of curious. I, I was talking to a friend this week and I was saying, it's hard to speak about suicide because it's hard not to overindulge. And it's hard not to underindulge. Okay. So now we're just going to spend some time with the essay. I'm going to read some excerpts. I'm going to share a few reflections. And we're going to just call it a day. And I hope you can can find a copy of this book. I just picked one up off an online bookshop and uh, ordered it and came in the mail. So you can pick up a copy. We've got a bunch of great essays coming up this fall. Love to have your company. And if you just want to tune into the, our, our reflections and discussions, that's okay too. Uh, so the view from Mrs. Thompson's. I'm going to read some excerpts. He he lays he's very into unique format a bit, and so he begins the essay. Location: Bloomington, Illinois. Dates: 11 to 13 September 2001. Subject: Obvious. So he begins. In true Midwest fashion, people in Bloomington aren't unfriendly, but do tend to be reserved. A stranger will smile warmly at you, but there normally won't be any of that strangerly chit-chat in waiting areas or checkout lines. 
But now, thanks to the horror, there's something to talk about that overrides all inhibition, as if we were somehow all standing right there and just saw the same traffic accident. Jumping ahead a little bit, here's another excerpt. Wednesday. Everyone has flags out. Homes, businesses. It's odd. You never see anybody putting out a flag. But by Wednesday morning, there they all are. Big flags, small, regular flag-sized flags. A lot of homeowners here just have those special angled flag holders by their front door. The kind whose brace takes four Phillips screws plus thousands of the little handheld flags on a stick you normally see at parades. Some yards have dozens of these stuck in the ground all over, as if they'd somehow all just sprouted overnight. Rural road people attach the little flags to their mailboxes out by the street. A good number of vehicles have them wedged in their grill or attached to the antenna. Some upscale people have actual poles. Their flags are at half-mast. More than a few large homes around Franklin Park or out in the east side even have enormous multi-story flags hanging gonfalon style down over their facades. It's a total mystery where people can buy flags this big or how they got them up there or when. Then he goes on to talk about his next door neighbor having a, a really an immaculate, cemented, tall pole. <laughs> and then he goes on to quote, the overall point being that on Wednesday here, there's a weird accretive pressure to have a flag out. If the purpose or displaying a flag is to make a statement, it seems like at a certain point of density of flags, you're making more of a statement if you don't have a flag out. It's not totally clear what statement this would be, though. What if you just don't happen to have a flag? Where has everyone gotten these flags, especially the little ones you can fasten to your mailbox? Are they all from a 4th of July and people just save them like Christmas ornaments? How do they know to do this? There's nothing in the yellow pages under flag. At some point, there starts to be actual tension. Nobody walks by or stops their car and says, Hey, how come your house doesn't have a flag? But it gets easier and easier to imagine them thinking it. Even a sort of half-collapsed house down the street that everyone thought was abandoned has one of the little flags on a stick in the weeds by the driveway. None of Bloomington's grocery stores turn out to stock flags. The big novelty shop downtown is nothing but Halloween stuff. Only a few businesses are actually open. But even the closed ones are now displaying some sort of flag. It's almost surreal. I like that. So you're getting a sense for this guy's voice, his personality. Now he goes back to Tuesday, later in the essay. I'm very fond of this excerpt because I like weather, and I like skies, and I like, I like knowing what week or what month it is by the feel, the feel of the gestalt of the day. So here he is, Tuesday. There are maybe 10 days a year when it's gorgeous in Bloomington, and 11 September is one of them. The air is clear and temperate and wonderfully dry after weeks of what's felt very much like living in someone's armpit. It's just before serious harvesting starts, when the region's pollen is at its worst, and a good percentage of the city is stoned on Benadryl which, as you probably know, tends to give the early morning a kind of dreamy, underwater quality. Time-wise, we're an hour behind the East Coast. By 8 o'clock, everybody with a job is at it, and just about everybody else is home drinking coffee and blowing their nose and watching Today, one of the other network AM shows that all broadcast, it goes without saying, from New York. At 8 o'clock on Tuesday, I personally was in the shower trying to listen to a Bears postmortem on WSCR Sports Radio in Chicago. 
The church I belong to is on the south side of Bloomington, near where my house is. Most of the people I know well enough to ask if I can come over and watch their TV are members of my church. It's not one of those churches where people throw Jesus' name around a lot or talk about the end times, but it's fairly serious and people in the congregation get to know each other well and to be pretty tight. As far as I know, all the congregants are natives of the area. Most are working class or retired from same. There are some small business owners, a fair number of veterans and or have kids in the military or especially in the reserves because for many of these families, that's what you do to pay for college. The house I end up sitting with shampoo in my hair watching most of the actual unfolding horror belongs to Mrs. Thompson, who is one of the world's cooler 74-year-olds and exactly the kind of person who in an emergency, even if her phone is busy, you know you can just come on over. She lives about a mile away from me on the other side of the mobile home park. The streets are not crowded, but they're also not as empty as they're going to get. Mrs. Thompson's is a tiny, immaculate, one-story home that on the west coast would be called a bungalow, and on the south side of Bloomington is called a house. Mrs. Thompson is a longtime member and a leader in the congregation, and her living room tends to be kind of a gathering place. So there are some, some samples of his essay. I don't have a lot of criticism, just appreciation. Like a great essayist, in my opinion. He, it's, a bit of, it's a bit of a wander through a few points that are, are really connected. It's, an essay can be like a long poem. And the portrait, the setting, the characters in this 74-year-old church lady's house coming together. It's just a very honest portrait of a fascinating day. What about you? What's your story? If you were to write a portrait of 9-11, what would your portrait look like? What characters were part of your day? What do you remember from that day? Do you remember your emotions? Do you remember who you shared them with? Was it a lonely day? Was it a day of camaraderie? For me, the day, I was in Ithaca in that day. Just begun my first year of master's in city planning at Cornell. And I had gone to the computer lab Again, it was one of those days that is like an, just those epic September, early September days where the sky is blue with maybe just a few wispy cirrus clouds. It's a high pressure day. The air is still 75, 80, 82, but it's dry and it, there's a little bit of hint, a little bit of hint of fall, not much. So it was one of those days in Ithaca, like it was in, in New York City, like it was in the Midwest. And I remember going into the computer lab because we didn't have phone. I didn't have a phone yet, not even close. <laughs> and I didn't have my own computer. So I'd stop in the computer lab like most of the, my cohort. And we'd read, the, we'd read the news and check our email before class started. And I remember, I remember sitting there and someone said, a, a plane flew into a, a building in New York City. You go online and the New York Times site is, is, is operating very slowly and the first thought was there was just a bizarre accident where a plane flew into a building in New York City. And I don't think we, it was crazy, but it wasn't, it wasn't real crazy yet. I mean, it was crazy, but it wasn't, we went to class and then someone came into our class and said, a second plane hit second tower. And that's like, that's when, that's when shit got real. That's when the music stopped. That's when the scene changed. Around the world, that's what happened. We were watching 
a, tr- a plane hit one of the Twin Towers, but could it have just have been a mistake? We, we couldn't even conceptualize that some would hijack a plane and fly into the Twin Towers. That's why for me, I don't have a lot of memories of that day because I think the biggest memory was how I felt. The emotions of that day were just kind of an awe, a wide open, wide eyed awe. Something we had not perceived or thought of just happened. This realization didn't come into that second plane, but once that second plane hit, boom, that's when that's when people started reaching out to friends and relatives. Our world just changed and we all watched it live on TV. Well, I don't know, was I in class? Like I said, the day was kind of a blur. I believe I was in class and I believe that at that point we just talked about it and people started just saying, all right, if you want to leave and leave. And I think I just remember probably meandering, probably on my own, because these cohort were just new people that I didn't really know that well. I probably wandered on my own. I remember standing in the in the Cornell bookstore uh, looking at their, they had a four screen, a flat screen that was like four screens together that was probably five feet by six feet. And I remember standing there with people just, just watching TV for a while. Dozens of people standing there just watching TV and watching replays. And just everyone mouth agape as if we were living in the same dream. And I know the pandemic is, I, I think of the pandemic and the surprise and I never expected to see this. But the pandemic was still something you could conceptualize. We heard about the 1918 flu. We heard about the Black Plague. The idea that a virus or a, a bacteria can sweep through society and get a lot of people sick was something that at least was on our radar screen. And yeah, we've seen bombs and war, but not in the United States like this. To see our buildings, our prominent buildings in our most prominent city get attacked with our own planes... There was a level of ingenuity and, yeah, I I guess on some level, if you step back far enough, there was something ingenious about the whole thing. Uh, However malevolent and misanthropic or angry or disturbing, murderous, suicidal, whatever you want to say. You can't have a really true discussion about that act of war without a deeper conversation of what what was the deeper war that they were responding to and did they have a right to fight back and but no matter what the level of ingeniousness to pull out that plot uh, I think is is something I'm able to recognize uh, without endorsing it so if it seems like I'm endorsing it I'm not and I can share other anecdotes you know, there's interesting stories about friends and relatives who barely survived or didn't survive or were in the building or firefighters. But to be honest, those stories have been shared plenty. I, I think I'd like to try to share a question to you about just reflect on your emotions of the day and, and, and try to see what do you remember that day. And if you remember anything, jot it down because you might forget it in 20 years. And that's going to be a famous day we live through. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're only 23 or 24, ask someone, interview someone about the day. What did they experience that day? How did they feel? What changed for them when it went from one tower being hit to two tower being hit? And then they even went from two towers being hit to the Pentagon being hit to 
something going on in Pennsylvania. So the level of fear and, and hyperbolic fear that was radiating through our society that day and that week and, and the weeks to come was was really tremendous. And it is worth pondering and reflecting on every 9-11 because it was one of those days that will live in infamy. And one of those days that many of us lived through. So I encourage you to share reflections. If you want to share them with the community here, please write them down, send an email, I'll share it over the show, if it's interesting. Um, no offense. And also, like, leave a voice message if you want. So you got about, I think, a minute and a half or three minutes to leave a voice message. You can leave more than one. And don't forget your fun assignment to reflect on your own portrait of 9-11. Your own day, your own week. Who did you reach out to? Who did you connect with? That night, I was in Ithaca by myself, and I definitely remember reconnecting with an old girlfriend and spending time with her because I felt alone. And so there was a natural fear response. It was a natural, okay, who do I have? Who do I have around here who's got my back? Who do I know closely? It was a fearful time. And there are layers of there are layers that are occurring in 2020. This is also perhaps on some level a fearful time, at least compared to normal times. But throughout shared tragedy, there's also some shared camaraderie. All right, my friends, my friends, my friends, thank you for your time. I really enjoy reflecting on these podcasts, preparing them and sharing them. And we got a lot of good things to come. Work on those five-year plans. I'm going to share my plan or my frust frustrations with my plan next week. Check on the website, weatherofthemind.org, to see the list of what essays we're reading, to find links to those essays, or buy the, buy the book, consider it as lobster. You could also see I'm trying to lay out what's coming up in the next few weeks and months. Next week, I'll post a draft of the five-year plan. So kind of taking things a little deeper. And I hope you got the time or the energy to, to join and engage. Your wisdom is helpful. We're in this together, and we need a lot of people thinking about these things. So I'm happy to help create this space of uh, connection, brainstorming, camaraderie. Living and learning, please stay hydrated. Give yourself some extra rest if you're getting some seasonal allergies. Build good processes week to week. Get some exercise, get that pulse up. Be kind to yourself and those around you. Have a good one. Bye-bye.